setting the stage of us asking God to speak to us through his word. So if you have your Bible, um, I hope you do, James chapter 2, verse 14, let's we go. James 2, beginning in verse 14. We have a desire this year um, really to see Jesus Christ conquer St. Clair County and the world, one gospel conversation at a time. You say, well, that's a bold vision. Well, God put this local body here in St. Clair County for a reason. Our geography is divine and sovereign because God wants us to make a difference. So that's what we are about. And we have the boldness to simply say that faith in Jesus Christ works. Faith in a lot of things doesn't work. Faith in Jesus Christ does. And so the sermon series in the book of James is simply a faith that works. And we're going to look today at a specific aspect of our faith. Um, it is claiming versus doing. It's what you say versus what you do. And you say, well, that's a little too personal. This is not my fault. You take it up with James one day in heaven. Because James is writing to the church and he's deeply concerned about what we say versus what we do. Because what we say should be what we do. And what we do should be what we say. And if not, that's where we need to bring and confess our lives before God. So what are you doing? One man found out the hard way the difference between knowing and implementing. Knowing and doing. Every year, revelers, of what they journey to Pamplona, Spain for the running of the bulls. Pamplona is about uh, a town of 300,000, and it swells during these weeks. Since 1911, 15 people have died running with the bulls. Now, let me just say, if you ever think that's a good idea, let me just be pastoral for a second. It's not. I'll visit you in the hospital, and I'm going to look at you and say, I told you so. Let me pray. That's how the conversation is going to go. But a man named Bill Hillman, a 32-year-old Chicago-based journalist, uh, he's an expert on the event. He, he knows so much about the running of the bulls that he wrote a book subtitled, How to Survive the Bulls of Pamplona. July 3rd, 2014, Bill and a friend were nearing the bull arena. It was a rainy day, so one of the bulls named Bevito, sorry, Brevito, was lagging behind. And he was a little ornery. And after Bill had thought all the bulls had passed and the danger had gone, Brevito decided to go on the attack and stabbed Bill in the right thigh. Bill's okay. I wouldn't share that if Bill had tragically met his end at 
the running of the bulls. Bill's okay. But they asked him later on about his book, How to Survive the Bulls. And this is his response. In the New York Times, he says, we will probably need to update the book. (laughs) I love Bill. At least he's honest. But Bill found out a hard truth that day. It's one thing to know about surviving the bulls. It's another thing to survive the bulls. And I believe James is meeting us in that same space. James is writing to the church and he's saying, some of you know about faith. Some of you claim you have faith, but are you living it out? And that's where James meets us this morning in our lives. So James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. James is about um, three quarters away through the New Testament. So New Testament, the book of James. Beginning in verse 14, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, if, you, if you're curious. James, the brother of Jesus, says, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. Stay warm, be well fed, but you do not give them what the body needs. What good is it? In the same way, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works and by works faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also without works faith is dead. Wow. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that this is a hard truth. Help us understand your word. Lord, help us not be people who claim to say and believe one thing, but live differently. Lord, help us not be people who are dead, who have useless faith. Father, meet us in our time of need right now that we might have a living and active faith. 
that we would live in eternal life and abundant life, just as Jesus has promised to us. So, Father, we confess that we cannot know anything about you, a holy, righteous God, without your Spirit illuminating our hearts and our minds. So, Lord, we need you right now. Show us, change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, which is it? Works or grace? Because what we've read has really caused tension within the Christian community for hundreds, if not thousands of years. This is one of the most controversial verses in the New Testament, verse 14. What good is it if you claim to have faith but do not have works? Can such faith save you? See, when you compare this verse to other famous New Testament verses, it sounds like there's odds, there's tension, there's difficulty. Some of you know what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Paul says it this way, For you are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works. It is not from works, lest no man boast. Now, why do I read that? Because what does James say here in verse 14? James says that if you claim to have faith but not works, it is useless. So Paul says you are saved by grace through faith. It is not of works, right? Yes. James says you need works. So how do we rectify these two? One scholar, I believe, puts it in the most succinct way. And I'm going to read this quote for you because he says it better than I could. One scholar says that Paul is dealing with obstetrics, which is the, the new birth, new life. James is dealing with pediatrics, infants, or geriatrics, non-infants, how Christian life grows and matures and ages. So if, if you right now, if your spirit is kind of in turmoil because you don't understand right now, is it works or is it not works, Pastor? Is it grace or is it not grace? Which is it? Paul is saying, it is by grace you are saved. And James is saying, it is by works that confirms the salvation that the Holy Spirit is generating within you. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying, you can't do anything to earn your salvation. But James is saying, hey, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. There's a big difference. We are saved by grace through faith, but that salvation is confirmed through the Holy Spirit, working itself out within us. You see, grace brings you into relationship. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit through you that proves relationship. So, can you know you are saved? Absolutely. I believe, uh, beyond any shadow of any doubt, that my salvation is secure, kept in heaven by God 
through his redemption within me. You know how I can boldly say that? Because I am absolutely sure I have done nothing to earn my salvation. If anything, I have done everything not to earn my salvation. God is looking at my life and saying, Josh, you messed up there and there and there and there and there. You haven't murdered people as you've you've recited earlier, but you sure have hated people. Remember that time on I-20? Do I need to remind you? No, Lord, you don't. And even before you got to I-20, you remember 411? Lord, I get it. Remember how dark your heart was? You might as well have murdered that person. And in the moment where I say, God, how could I? He says, that's why my son Jesus died. For moments like that. Grace brings you into relationship. Works of love remind you of that relationship in your life. So which is it? Works or grace? Yes. Yes. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So James begins there in a very succinct, powerful note. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? So now we ask the question, if you aren't what you claim, what good is it? Now, the Holy Spirit right now is working on many of us because we know we are not what we claim. And some of you right now are thinking, okay, who ratted me out? You invited me to this church and you told the pastor about my life. No, it's on Facebook. That's a different sermon. That's next week. Who ratted me out? The Holy Spirit is working in us. And if we're honest, none of us, 100% of the time, are exactly who we claim to be. So I would encourage you right now, uh, just put down the mask. And let God work through His Spirit in your life. So if we are not what we claim, then what good is it? So this idiomatic question is a common way for ancient people uh, to introduce rhetorical dialogue. It's really James' way of saying, don't answer the question. So the question is, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but do, does not have works? Don't answer that. That's what James is saying, because it's not good. It's useless. And the second question in the Greek is also interesting. It's written in a way as to suppose a negative response. So here's what James is saying. What good is it if you claim to have faith, to say you have faith, and you have no works? Is that good? Don't answer that question. Second question. Can such faith save him? He's already given you the answer. The answer is no. The answer is no. And I can sense James' feathers being ruffled. As he's writing the church and he's, he's thinking, man, do I have to tell them again that God wants to do something incredible in their life through the Spirit? And at the same time, I believe his heart is breaking, saying they don't get it. And I believe that same response can be uttered in 2020. James is saying, I wish they would see how much God wants to work in their life today. 
At the same time, his heart was breaking, thinking, Lord, just open their eyes. You see, some in the church, in the time of James, had used grace as a means not to be salt and light. They said, well, we have grace. We don't have to do anything. And James is saying, may that never be. May it never be said. Because we are called to be a city on a hill. You are called to be light in darkness. You are called to be saltiness in a place that needs seasoning. Some of you are salty. But maybe not for the Holy Spirit. We should be salt through righteousness. Not just because we haven't had our caffeine yet. So James is saying, look, grace doesn't give you an excuse to be lazy. Grace is calling us to work and to serve in the power of the Spirit. You see, some claim faith. Others confirm faith. I want to be a person that that the Holy Spirit is working out within me. Look at verse 14 again. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims? Claims to have, listen, I'm a Mississippi State fan. I can claim as many championships as I want to, but that's useless. We don't have any, but I will not stop praying. I am long-suffering. We can claim whatever we want to be, but just because we claim something does not make that true. Look at verse 18. He says, these same people, they're saying, well, you have faith, and I James said, I have works. James says, you show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He also says, again, in verse 20, he says, senseless person. He says, this is crazy. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is, is useless? Like, quit saying you have belief in God. If you're not living it out. That's why I love James. James is saying, have I lost my mind? You claim this, but you're not living for Christ. Can empty, empty belief save us? No. Can empty professions save us? No. It is only the redemptive, atoning blood of Jesus Christ, now who gives us the Holy Spirit working within us. And my heart, and my, my, one of the things that keeps me awake at night is that I believe I have friends and there are people even in this church that have claimed belief in God maybe years ago and there's no evidence of it. And you know what James would say to you? It's useless senseless and James does not say that harsh message to hurt your feelings but I also believe that James doesn't care if he hurts your feelings because God wants you to know him to love him we need to wake up this morning and say, God, if my life is not confirming what I say, then what I say is useless, but Lord, I want to know you God, make my belief real. So if you are not what you claim, what good is it? It's no good. 
And now James gives us four examples in history about people who live out their faith. So let's look at these four different examples. The first situation is in verse 15. It's a brother or a sister who is without clothes and they lack daily food. Now it's interesting, the Greek word here for lacking daily food is is the word gymnos. It's the same word that we get um, gymnasium from. And it was, we now use the word gymnasium because it simply means naked. Some of you are never going to the gym again. Because the ancient Greek men used to compete naked in sporting events. I'll let you figure that out later at home. Um, But in the ancient world, nakedness and lack of abundance was shameful. So James is saying, listen, church, someone has walked in here today and they have nothing. They're almost naked and they're so destitute. They're, They're even ashamed to come in here. James is saying, what will you do? How will you respond to this person? What if, what if we, we look at that person and say, I, I can see you've had a bad day. And you're, you're almost naked. But here's a tip. Get a job. Buy some clothes. And may the Lord bless you and shine his face upon you. That's exactly what James says. And if I were to do that, if you were to do that, we would say, what what faith does this person have? That they would look at someone in need and turn a blind eye and just throw a Bible verse and say, good luck. Because obviously you're not working hard enough. I was reading a story this week and, you know, it says a young boy went with his mom to the grocery store. And on uh, his way home, he, he had bought a dozen eggs. And he dropped the eggs, and all 12 fell out on the sidewalk, and they were broken. And so a, a, gatherer, a, a gathering of onlookers circled this young boy. And you know, he tried not to cry. It was one of those where his, his bottom lip was quivering, but he knew that he needed to be tough. And so the onlookers were saying, well, it'll be okay. You can go back and get some other eggs. Don't cry. It's not too bad. And one man in the group reached into his pocket, gave the boy 25 cents and looked at the rest and said, I care 25 cents worth. How about you? Derwin Gray, pastor I love to listen to, says, Church, your excess is designed to meet someone's need. Man, what a powerful truth. And and we would say, well, I can't believe that someone would look at a brother or sister who is naked and not help them. But how often do we look at people in need and we do not take the time to meet that need? With the knowledge that God has met us in our need so that our excess will help someone else. Claiming belief versus living a life of belief. Some will say, I I believe James with biting sarcasm is praising the, the theology here. 
You see, the, in essence, the works of the Spirit within us are the sum total of a life brought about by faith. You see, your faith is a confirmation of what God has done in your life. Your works of love are a confirmation of what God is doing within your soul. And this is so important that James gives us three more examples. If we didn't get it the first time, look at what he says next in verse 19. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe. And they tremble. The CSB says they shudder. You see, James opposes a man who thinks that work through Christ and faith in Christ are separate. They are one in the same. And the Word of God insists within us that correct doctrine by itself is insufficient for salvation. Let me say that again. Correct knowledge and doctrine in itself is insufficient to save. So if you came in here thinking, well, I know the right beliefs about God. You know what James would say to you? Good for you. The demons believe that also. And they shudder. At least they do something about what they believe. But are they Christ followers? Absolutely not. You see... Satan and his hordes of evil demons are monotheists. They know about God. Even so much so, look at verse 19. They believe God is one. They believe that the they believe Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, right? They believe Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. The, the monotheistic Champion of Israel's faith. James says they believe that. The demons believe the Baptist faith and message. And they shudder. This word means to tremble and slightly bristle. As if the thought of the creator makes the hair on the demon's neck stand up. You see, right belief is insufficient for salvation. Right belief that does not lead to a righteous life has no value. If you are not living in the power of the Holy Spirit, you take your doctrine home. That's exactly what James says in our life. And my heart breaks to think that some of us here have right doctrine You've walked an aisle, you've checked a box, you've raised your hand in vacation Bible school, and you're not living a righteous life. You could quote a hundred Bible verses. You could share with me the Romans road. You know the ABCs of salvation. You even know all eight verses of just as I am. You're not like the pagans who only know three. But if you're honest, your life has been unchanged. By the gospel. And James would look at you and he would say, that's good. But the demons believe that. And they tremble. 
And if all I have is right knowledge about God, you know what James calls that? Demonic knowledge. That's exactly what the demons have. And they shudder, but disciples surrender. I want to be someone who surrenders to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Right belief alone is not enough to save. You must surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Because if we're not careful, right belief puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. But surrender leads to the throne of Christ. Surrender leads us to a place where we can say, God, I need you. Do you shudder or do you surrender? And if that's not enough, James gives us a third example. And this time he brings out the big guns. A man who you have sung about often in your life. Father Abraham. The one who had many sons. I am one of them. And so are you. So you know what? Let's just praise the Lord. Some of you, you're... You're welcome. You're not going to get that song out of your head for the next month. But James brings us back to Father Abraham. Look at what he says right here in verse um, 20, 21. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Hey, listen up is what he's saying. Let me give you a third example. He says, was not Abraham our father? justified by works and offering Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. This is the patriarch of promise, who left the land of Ur, the Chaldeans. He didn't have a map. God said, you leave and go and trust me. And he left, and he went to the promised land, and And God said, I will bless all nations through you. And I'll give you another son. His name is Isaac. And that's the son I will bless all nations. And one day the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, Abram, it's not going to make sense. But you know that son of promise? I want you to sacrifice him for me. I don't know about you, but we're going to enter into a serious time of prayer at that point. Uh, My quiet time is not going to be so quiet. God, why? God, why would you ask me to sacrifice? God, I know that we don't sacrifice people to you. God, this is the son of promise. And in that moment, when God asked Abraham trusted the Lord over self-preservation. I don't know if I would have done that. And in that moment, Abram was willing to prove his faith as real because he was willing to act upon his faith. That's what James is saying, that Abraham's faith was not mature until he acted upon it. And in the process, in the process of acting upon God's promise, he learned about God's character. Do you trust God enough to act upon your faith? When the rubber meets the road, 
And God says, you know that the, the most precious thing that you have? Abraham, give it to me. You know that retirement? You know that car you love? You, you know that son or that relationship or that career? You know that thing that you love more than anything? You say you believe. Offer it. And in that moment, Abraham said, God, I trust you enough. As Hebrews says, that even if you ask me to slaughter my son, I believe that you will raise him from the dead. Because I believe in your promises. This is the faith that we need. So, what is God asking you to give? How is God asking you to act upon your faith? There's one more example, though. And it's a, a young lady named, uh, from the Jericho region, named Rahab. And we see in verse 25 that in the same way, this patriarch of promise is juxtaposed with now Rahab, a, as Scripture says, a prostitute. Now, I was reminded of a sermon I listened to this week that no little girl ever dreams of becoming a prostitute. That only happens when you have been mistreated and abused to the point where you feel like your only path of survival is to let men treat you as a commodity. That's Rahab. And in this woman's life, something unique happened. In this woman's life, in verse 25, this prostitute was justified by works in receiving the spies and the messengers from Israel and sending them out by a different way. Think Les Mis. That's Rahab's story. And out of everyone in Jericho who accepted the spies, she was the one. Why? Why would James include a needy church person a demon, Father Abraham, and then Rahab the prostitute. I've really been racking my soul and my brain for that. You know why I think that Rahab is here? This obscure Gentile woman of low moral character. That's Jesus' way of reminding you that there is no one there's no one in the world that cannot act upon faith in Jesus Christ. There's no one. You might not be able to relate to Abraham because he had, you know, he was wealthy and he had this supernatural faith, but maybe, maybe we can relate to Rahab. But, but my world has been broken for so many years, I don't even know what's right. But I do know that when God offers to save me, I'm in. What a beautiful picture that whether you are a patriarch or a prostitute, your faith is confirmed by what you do.
And then James says this. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Faith that does not reveal itself in a changed lifestyle, that glorifies God, that seeks His heart for the world, it is dead, it is lifeless, it's only a shell. And it's really not faith at all, it's a corpse. I believe C.H. Spurgeon gives us a beautiful picture, an illustration of what James is trying to massage into our lives. And then after I share this story, we're going to enter into a time of response. Spurgeon, the famed pastor of um, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, where he preached to 10,000 people on a weekly basis without amplification, um, he, he was a beast as, as far as pastors are concerned. He says this, A tree has been planted out into the ground. Now the source of life to that tree is at the root. Whether it has apples on it or not, the apples would not give it life. But the whole of the life of the tree will come from its roots. Do you understand what Spurgeon is saying? That whether there's apples or pears or fruit or not, the life of the tree is not in the fruit. The life is in the root of the tree. But... If that same tree stands in the orchard, and when the springtime comes, there is no bud. And when the summer comes, there is no leafing and no fruit bearing. But the next year, and the next year, it stands there without bud or blossom, or leaf or fruit. You would say that that tree is dead. And you are correct, because it is dead. It is not that the leaves could have made it live, but that the absence of the leaf is proof that there is no root. This is the image that James is sharing with us. So I simply want to ask, is your faith flourishing today? Take a moment and look at your life. And if there are no leaves, if there are no fruits, I beg you to seek Christ. And to say, God, maybe there's no fruit and maybe there are no leaves because there is no root. And the promise and the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ is that if you call upon his name today, he's not going to say, I can't believe you were playing church for 50 years. He's not going to say, well, you can't follow me now. What would they think? Jesus is going to say, I've been waiting for you. Welcome home. I forgive you. I made a way for you. My blood paid the price for your sin. Come home. And then he's going to say, watch what I will do in your life. When the root is living Watch what happens. If that's you, I pray that you would spend time right now and do business with God. Say, God, I need you for the first time. I'm tired of claiming something that is false about my life. I don't want to shudder. I want to surrender. 
Help me do that today. Lord, may that be true. Some of you are Christ followers, and maybe you turn me off. You think, well, I, I, I have faith, and, and this is not for me. Oh, you are, you are so far wrong from that. Because I believe in every person's life, including my own, there is a gap every day between what I claim and what I do. And my prayer for us today is that we would say, God, I pray this morning that that gap between what I say and know and what I do would shrink. God, send your spirit. Lord, I I don't want to be someone who claims the name of Jesus Christ, who claims the truth of Jesus Christ. I want to be someone who claims them because I live them. And would you be bold enough to pray right now? Lord, close the gap. God, close the gap. And maybe you want to come here to the altar and, and confess that before the Lord. Maybe you want to come and pray with one of our pastors or one of our counselors. Maybe you simply want to fill out your connect card and, and have someone follow up with you this week. What would it look like if there was no gap? Can you imagine that what we claim and what we do is the same? And to finally see the radiant shine of Jesus Christ saying, Josh, well done. When that needy brother came in here, you helped him. When I asked you to offer the most precious thing in your life, you freely gave. Josh, when you were in need like Rahab, you ran to me and you didn't run away in shame. You ran to me in surrender. I pray that God would close the gap in our lives. Let's go to the Lord and pray.